You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow, also in New York this week. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Sam Bangman-Fried, he responds to charges in a detailed post saying it didn't steal funds or stash billions away. And scrutiny of Disney leadership continues with activist investor Nelson Peltz nominating himself to the company board. What could this mean for Bob Iger? And we talk with a venture capital founder backed by Melinda French-Gates about her new fund dedicated to investments in longevity, the spending power and influence of women and diverse communities. But first, let us check in on these markets because once again, friends, it was a day of macro affecting your benchmarks. And looking at the CPI print, the inflation data actually showing a drop in overall prices in the month of December versus the month of November, down 0.1% if you look at month on month. Overall, we're still seeing that CPI showing that inflation is cooling, maybe even peaked, that is the market liked. NASDAQ up six tenths of percent. All Country World Index now up for five straight days. Similar moves to the NASDAQ. Five straight days. It's the longest winning streak we've seen since July 2022. And really, the key move was in borrowing costs. Yields, bonds, we see yields come down by 12 basis points on a five-year. But across the curve, we see borrowing costs fall as we think the Federal Reserve is going to start slowing that pace of hiking. Certainly, we're hearing from a litany of the members of the FOMC talking about now just a quarter of a percentage point is the new norm. Let's flip it on because I want to look at, therefore, what happens to the US dollar. The US dollar has been on a weakening trajectory. In fact, it was down versus basically every single G10 currency. Look at the Japanese yen. The WCRS function, world currency rankings on the Bloomberg, shows you the Japanese yen on the day was up more than 2.4%. The Norwegian krone, Aussie dollar, euro, all doing well. This, of course, is a story of strength versus the US dollar, Ed. Yeah, we've got some breaking news also happening after market, Caro. Apple saying in a regulatory filing that Tim Cook's salary for 2023, his compensation will be reduced 40%, 40% to a more modest $49 million. They're saying in the regulatory filing that Tim Cook had some influence on this and going forward, they'll reevaluate his pay relative to peers, bringing it more in line to the 80 to 90th percentile, uh, which, you know, still a lot of money, but interesting development happening in our ears. There's a sort of modest reaction down a tenth of a percent on Apple stock in that after hours move. Uh, we got the reaction we expected when inflation came in, in line with the expectation when it came to tech stocks. That was kind of one of the primary movers. Interesting 
Ford, 10 straight days of gains, its longest streak on record. No real catalyst or news in the news cycle, but interesting to see that performance to start the year from Ford as it shifts towards EVs. Tesla up three tenths of one percent. It had been lower for much of the session. Disney, we're going to get into investors. It's not clear whether this was kind of part of the broader market move or investors cheering uh, the activism that we're seeing from Trian and Nelson Peltz. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And TSMC, really interesting. It's US listed shares. It's ADRs up 6.4% this Thursday. The company cutting its capex in response to slowing demand, particularly consumer electronics. Revenue forecast for the fiscal first quarter slightly below street expectations, but they're saying they're seeing improvement of supply, particularly for automotive and how there's been a shortage of chips there. Uh, Bitcoin, interesting. We continue to see strength in Bitcoin. I want to get straight to a Bloomberg terminal chart behind me. There's still this really high correlation, right, between Bitcoin and technology stocks. And that this is Nasdaq futures in this chart's case. I think it's going to be really interesting, Caro, to look at this correlation as we go forward, right? The narratives move now to 25 basis point hikes in the short term from the Federal Reserve. That's got the tech bulls coming out. Well, if the tech bulls are out for stocks, might that see some continued momentum for Bitcoin as well? Well, let's look at what might be a more bearish narrative currently in crypto. We have breaking news that the SEC is suing the crypto brokerages Genesis and Gemini. This is for offering unregistered securities through their joint earn product, as it was called. Now, this is all, of course, a product to do with Cameron Winklevoss and currently the attack he's making on DCG's Barry Silbert. They've been fighting back and forth about really who's to blame for what has been, well, the fallout ever since the earn program has been called been a problem following the collapse of crypto more broadly, but the SEC really deeming that basically you cannot be using these sorts of products that let customers loan out their assets in exchange for interest payments. And they're saying, of course, this is unregistered securities. Shanali Basek joins us for more. So the SEC once again weighing in on crypto. Uh, certainly in a big way, Caroline, here. You have the SEC's complaint here calling into question Genesis and Gemini in the same complaint. Now, why is that interesting? We we have, again, to your point that you were making here, these two counterparties that had previously been feuding over how the situation has been handled since halting withdrawals. Now, what does the complaint say? Uh, as you said, they are uh, looking at the unregistered offer and sale of securities to U.S. retail investors. You also have the SEC talking about the marketing from both parties here, both parties. And I want to be very specific. It is Genesis Global Capital, the subsidiary of that large Genesis trading desk here that is a part of the defendants being named in this complaint, but both of them marketing these assets to investors being called into question by the SEC. Now, remember, this comes just days after that big open letter you saw from Cameron Winklevoss after uh, a number of uh, correspondences between DCG, D Digital Currency Group, that big entity run by Barry Silbert, as well as the Winklevoss's twins, uh, Gemini, for this Gemini Earn product. And it's days after you have Cameron Winklevoss alleging here private lies and accounting fraud. And also in the same week that you have Barry Silbert, the head of Digital Currency Group, also reaching out to investors with a very um, large multi-page question and answer here that addresses how Digital Currency Group uses uh, the proceeds of loans borrowed from Genesis Capital, the same uh, asset here in question that is under the SEC review. Now, uh, there will be a lot of questions both from investors as well as regulators on where the money went, what, the, what kind of money was lost, how you get it back. But at the end of the day, 
as I said before, these two are being named in the complaint together after days and days and days, months really sparring. And so how they handle this when they're both listed together as uh, under the complaint of the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, this is an interesting development in part because Bloomberg reported last week, according to sources, that federal prosecutors were looking into Barry, Barry Silbert and the Digital Currency Group. So now we have this triangle, right? Vinkelvoss, Silbert, regulators, as you said, the complaint is joint between them. Uh, bring, tie that all together. What is the relationship as it stands now between Barry Silbert and the Vinkelvoss brothers, twins? As it stands, remember, they have been both kind of at war here. Uh, and I think what's worth kind of pointing out here is the difference between how Genesis frames this issue versus the Winklevoss twins. We reported in late November, actually, that when Genesis was out kind of looking for money, we had reported they had reached out to a number of big investors to try to really stave off some of these issues. As they did that, they revealed all of these loans that existed between Genesis as well as other digital currency group experts here uh, or entities here. Now, remember, those entities, um, investors of Digital Currency Group did have clarity into how the entity worked. So the big reveal here then becomes now, you know, regulators asking questions about where the money went at the end of the day, but also the allegations being made by Gemini and Gemini uh, earns products on behalf of those more than 300,000 customers. Remember, when you look at Digital Currency Group's response to this publicly, they said this is a way for Gemini to be deflecting blame. But again, the way that this is culminating now, they both are under uh, this complaint for the SEC. Let's weave all of this narrative together, Shanali, because a lot of the reasons that the funds have been trapped in Genesis is because of the ongoing fallout across crypto that in many parts wasn't just started by the collapse of FTX. It came much prior to that. Actually, some of them related to lending products themselves. But just talk to us about what we've heard from Sam Bankman fried today about the FTX fallout and really how all of this is one big similar collapse that is just having so much of a contagion effect. Yeah, it's really interesting because we have heard, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried before the indictment came out, him have his media tour. But then since he's been on house arrest, we've seen him tweet here and there. And now we have a substack coming out as well in which he's detailing kind of his defense here um, on this idea that he didn't steal funds, he didn't stash them anywhere. Uh, the, the, the name of this substack was FTX Premortem Overview. Uh, he also links uh, the issue to how he was treated by rivals. He's been complaining about Binance and the handling of assets for a while here now. At the end of the day, what happened in the middle of last year, Luna, Three Arrows, people lost a lot of money and it spiraled from there. And it's kind of as simple as that. All right, Bloomberg, Shanali Bassett, keeping us posted on every twist and turn in an industry under duress, executives under the spotlight. And speaking of executives under the spotlight, let's talk about Disney, where activist investor Nelson Peltz has nominated himself to the board. This could become a highly public debate over Disney's returning CEO, Bob Iger, and his leadership. Bloomberg's managing editor for Global Business, Creighton Harrison, with us in New York. I guess the, the question you go straight to is, what is Nelson Peltz trying to get out of this? 
Well, he's trying to get the things out of it that Nelson Peltz is always trying to get out of these things, right? Which is, we can squeeze cost savings. We can run this business more efficiently. You know, he argues that Disney's been overpaying for assets for a while, especially the Fox deal from a few years back. Um, you know, he criticizes them for having gone after Sky, which they did not win, but were willing to bid up the price quite a bit on. Uh, he says it's time to shake things out and, uh, and, and, and have a little more uh, focus on operating margins and restore the dividend. He's calling for the dividend to be restored by 20 25, remember that went away uh, early in the pandemic as it did for many companies. Now, none of these perhaps challenges and concerns must be that much of a shock to Disney. They know that they've had some issues. They've just announced changes at the board level, perhaps, and a, and a focus at least on succession. But ultimately, they're not going to want pelts on the board. No, they very much do not want pelts on the board. Uh, I think Bob Iger would like to you know, have a chance to run this show himself without, uh, without input from Nelson. Um, but they are you know, sort of acknowledging that there's at least some public-facing changes that they need to make. One interesting little piece of brinkmanship is that Peltz was supposed to unveil his big campaign this week, and Disney actually got out ahead of it with uh, the announcement of the change in this board. Now it says Susan Arnold had already hit the age limit, or the, I'm sorry, not the age limit, but the 10-year the limit to be on the board. Um, but the coincidence is there, if you want to read into it. Um, they also did announce that they're establishing a succession committee uh, at the board level. So that's a signal to investors, hey, we know we need to you know, set our course on the future and decide who will eventually replace Bob Iger in a couple of years. Um, that is very much, you know, sort of a first volley in what is likely to be a months-long fight. This is like one of those stories where you actually do need some context of recent history where, you know, Iger has returned as CEO having retired, quote-unquote. They'd only just renewed Chapek's contract before he was dismissed, essentially. We actually asked our audience if Peltz has a point here. Does Peltz have a point? Um, these are the results from the Twitter poll that we did. Uh, I'm not entirely surprised by this, 61% of respondents <laughs> asking who, who is Peltz. The answer really is he's a classic activist, isn't he? And he built up that stake in November. Um, I guess, does he have any track record of achieving these things? Absolutely. Can he change Disney? Absolutely. And, and, and you can argue that he already has with these moves, right? Um, but, uh, you know, you look at examples like Procter & Gamble, General Electric, the executives of those companies would say he very much changed it. There's a great example of DuPont, which is a company that he didn't actually win his activist fight, but the CEO was out months later. They had a bunch of cost cuts they announced. So he is a big deal, and he will make his presence felt. And some analysts say... Maybe yeah. they need to listen. Health's Maybe got it's a, a point. good thing. Great to have you here. Thank you so much, of course, Bloomberg's Managing Editor of Global Business, Clayton Harrison. Meanwhile, coming up, we've got a little bit of sprinkling of VC action, right, Eddie? We're talking about PitchBook. It's out with its new report on the state of venture capital in 2022. Spoiler alert, it's not too pretty. More on that next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. 
Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We raised this round in a context where the business was growing incredibly well. Well, we grew 8x in 2021. We grew almost 4x in 2022. Yes, the market is more difficult. Um, I think there is much greater scrutiny of our financial um, financial performance, your, uh, and so on. Um, but underlying, you know, the numbers really did speak for themselves. That was Pepe co-founder and co-CEO Majula Pore talking with Caro 24 hours ago about the current environment for raising money. And I think we've got to get some context on this. This is the talking point beyond Silicon Valley, where founders and those who have backed them historically are thinking about what on earth is going on in all sorts of economies. Carl Stanford, lead VC analyst at PitchBook, joins us from San Francisco. PitchBook out with its report for 2022 on the state of, of venture capital. 2022, uh, in summary, was a transition year, right, Kyle? It was difficult. It was hard. There was a pullback in funding overall. What is the conclusion that you guys reached when you took a look back at the year? I think a transition year is a really way, a really good way to describe what we saw in 2022. Uh, throughout the year, the momentum of the venture market that had really grown in 2021 faded pretty quickly. Uh, from Q1, which we saw as the most active quarter in our data set, to Q4, we saw deal count drop 25%. We saw deal value drop 66%, which is a, an incredible number. Um, when you look at where that is coming from, though, a lot of that is coming from uh, the unicorns, the late stage, the growth stage of venture, which really saw a huge amount of capital pushed into the market over the past few years, which when, when you see the crossover investors pull out and, and readjust their uh, investment strategy, that capital that is, uh, those late stages have relied on came out pretty quick uh, in 2022. I think what's really interesting, and, and Caroline and I have, have been discussing this every single day, is how actually it wasn't completely doom and gloom, and it may not be complete doom and gloom for 2023, because at the early stage, you know, seed, pre-seed, um, th there seems to be more appetite to deploy capital, um, because, right, if you're a venture capitalist, you take a long-term view. You know, you know you're not gonna have an exit for, a, for mm -hmm. a while. Is that a fair assessment of, of the psychology, I suppose, of this industry right now? Yeah, that's exactly right. When you think about seed stage companies or even Series A, Series B, those companies, even the most successful ones, are years and years away from the public markets. So they do have a little bit of an immediate um, insulation from the broader macro uh, economy. Uh, but we do believe that 2023, there is still some deflation to come out of this market um, after the exuberance of 2021. Um, and the longer the you know, macro volatility persists, we do expect early stage and seed to, to start to see that crunch that the late stage is, ha uh, is seeing right now. Go global for us, if you can, because what's interesting is the outperformance of late last couple of months of the public markets in Europe vis-a-vis -vis the US. I'm interested, of course, that comes from a lower base, whether 
Europe and other areas. We've heard from textiles, for example, talking about exuberance and excitement going on in Africa, Middle East, from a seed stage round, and indeed from the actual startup culture there at the moment. Are we likely to still see the money in Silicon Valley, New York, or is it going to spread out a little bit more? I think we've seen the spread out really happen over the past few years. Uh, but when you look at the data, the way we track data and all the capital uh, being located in the headquarters of the fund, we had $77 billion um, raised in Silicon Valley this year. Um, a lot of those huge mega funds that we see uh, being raised are headquarter, are by firms headquartered in Silicon Valley. So when you look at the data, it does look very concentrated. But we do believe, especially from uh, kind of the the change towards Zoom and towards a, a more uh, global venture market, we will see that capital spread out. Um, and one interesting note of our report is that the uh, Silicon Valley or the Bay Area actually saw less than 20% of deal count in the U.S. for the second quarter in a row, which is the first time that's happened in our data set. Um, and so even though the capital is staying here, there is a much more global venture economy. Uh, would that be you know, moving the capital to the Midwest or to some of the you know, second tier cities in the U.S. or to seeing capital go to Latin America or Europe? We've seen a lot of growth everywhere. And talk to us, can you break it down by industry? Where remained relatively healthy? Where was able to weather some of the concerns? Are we able to break it out as much as, well, healthcare, femtech, cybersecurity still remains pretty resilient in the face of a recessionary environment? I'm not sure any uh, sector really weathered the storm in 2022. I think everyone was, uh, every sector was there right for some kind of pullback from VC because of the exuberance and then the mania we saw in 2021. But when we look from a sector perspective, the first place we look is the public markets. FinTech had a really difficult year. Cloud has stayed a little bit better and you can see that reflected in the valuations that are coming across in the private market. I think there's two data points I want to hit with you really quickly, Kyle, that even though there weren't necessarily the deals in 2022, I think I'm right in saying that actually venture capitalists all around the world launched quite a few new funds, right? They at least got their war chests set up if they didn't then deploy them, right? And we may not see them deploy this year. The other data set that really catches my eye is that about capital invested in female-founded companies. Could you just speak to us about that, that trend that you saw in 2022 for female-founded companies? Yeah, I think female-founded companies have been, um, you know, a a point of interest for for much of the industry over the past few years. Um, There's been a lot of new funds that have been raised by female uh, GPs. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, you know, help from the industry to make sure that there's more capital going to female-founded companies. I think one data point that gets tossed around there is the, the percentage that is raised by female-founded companies of the total deal value. And the unfortunate part of that is that it is very low, and no matter where you slice it, it's not going to look great. But a lot of that is, is influenced by the huge deals that we've been seeing over the past few years. We had $857, $100 million deals closed in 2021. We had a, you know, a 450 of those closed in 2022. And many of those are, are just older companies, and they have started by 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 men and so there has been a push towards more investment in female founded companies and hope uh, we are hoping that because of the fundraising that has been done by by female led GPs as well as the initiatives of you know the broader industry that we will see a sustained growth in investment into female founded companies and we've got uh, a female-led fund coming on a little bit later in the show Kyle just briefly from the diversity's perspective many have been worrying that you know, it's a recent trend that money had been put to work in this. And therefore, when we go back, retrench, worry, people go back to their previous old norms. Are you hearing that 2023, people are still going to be stood by ensuring they're backing diverse founders, diversity of thought? 
in a similar way from an investment, we, we thought the exact same thing was going to happen to the small uh, small ecosystems that had really you know, popped up in the Midwest um, and hadn't had the local fundraising and had received a lot of capital from the, the East Coast or, or the Bay Area. Uh, what we did see, though, there was a sustained growth in the smaller markets, and we believe that uh, whether it be in female-founded companies or whether it be in a more diverse founder um, group, we do believe that there has been the sustained momentum behind that, um, and we do believe that 2023 should be a good year because of the number of funds that were raised to focus on uh, those different initiatives. Kyle, thank you for reminiscing on 2022 and pushing us forward to Kyle Stanford. We thank you, VC analyst over at PitchBook. Time for top tech calls. First up, Netflix. Jeffries upgrading to buy from hold with a new price target of $385. The firm sees upside surprises to the company's 2024 operating margin and believes the second half of 23 and 2024 should be good for Netflix, but also looks at electronic arts, take two, and some toy stocks despite short-term pressure points. Moving on to Best Buy, downgraded by XA and BNP Paribas from outperform to neutral. The new price target now $74, implying a 14% decrease from its last price. Analysts weighing in on this stock before Goldman Sachs, for instance, upgraded shares of Best Buy last month from a sell rating to neutral, lifting their target price to $83. Finally, security software named Zscaler downgraded at Morgan Stanley's slower growth for security landscape, lowering its price target from 162 to $110. A little bit positive and some secular tailwinds there for that stock. Caro. Fascinating group to keep a close eye on. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. And we've got to talk VC a little bit of it. Stick with it. And let's go to San Francisco. You're not there, but some key players are. There is a new fund in play in SF, Cake Ventures. It's just closed its first fund, $17 million vehicle. It's going to invest in minority founders, those building products for changing demographics across America. Backers include Bank of America, Melinda French Gates, Pivotal Ventures. Founder, Monique Woodard, is joining us now from the studio. And Monique, I mean, congratulations. And talk to us about the layers. I liked the description. You're called Cake Ventures. The layers in which you're going to be targeting when looking to deploy your money. Exactly. Thanks for having having me. So Cake Ventures is focused on big technological changes combined with demographic shifts. And we back and uh, invest capital into companies that touch areas of demographic change, including aging and longevity, increased spending power of women, and the rise of a new majority. Talk to us about the rise of a new majority, because I think that's a really fascinating shift. You're sort of talking about tech adopters who are coming from, well, minority-led areas, particularly more, more the people of color, Asian communities, that are building something culturally as well as financially, really. Correct. Um, you know, these three groups, Asian, Black, and Latinos, have an increasing um, influence on internet culture, uh, increasing their spending power. And I think uh, for Cake Ventures, that means that this is an area that we want to invest in and invest in quite early. Hey, Monique, congratulations, as, as Caroline said. It's really interesting to speak to a new name in the world of venture capital. We've been talking to founders, uh, you know, all week pretty much about how difficult it's been to raise money for those startups in this environment. And I kind of want to put the same question to you, you know, who are your LPs? Where did the money come from? And how, how hard was it for you to get this vehicle finalized? 
Well, we have great LPs like uh, Pivotal Ventures, a Melinda French Gates company, uh, Bank of America, Sindana Capital, uh, Foundry Group, Fund of Funds like that. Um, and, you know, we are in a really challenging time for entrepreneurs and for emerging fund managers. Um, I, I won't deny that. But, um, you know, if you are building, there, there's never been a better time to be building something uh, game changing in technology. And the capital is out there, but it is a difficult time and will continue to be a difficult time uh, over the next several, mo- several months to a year um, for people starting new companies. Hey, Monique, I'm also really interested in you as well. You know, I'm reading that you guys are going to kind of cut $500,000 checks, that kind of increment. You know, how are you going to do business? Are you going to go out there and have one-on-ones with these founders? Are you inviting pitches and pitch decks to come into you? I I just want to know how it works, essentially. So I've already invested in in 12 companies out of this portfolio. Um, I'm I'm a longtime venture capitalist. I was at 500 startups before as a VC and uh, also was a scout at Lightspeed. And so I have a really great deep network of people in venture who know me, know my uh, investing thesis and track record, and who I can work with and collaborate with in order to do great deals. Now, I also go out and and hunt for deals, uh, which is one of my favorite things to do, is finding new uh, undiscovered founders building something uh, that fits into the three layers of the cake, and that's really exciting for me. Where are these founders based, more often than not, Monique? So although I'm based in San Francisco, 66% of the companies that I've invested in so far have been uh, outside of, quote unquote, Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area. And that's something that we'll continue to press on. You know, I think that great innovation comes from many different places. uh, And we're excited to invest in places um, that are outside of Silicon Valley, as well as companies that originate from right here. And let's dig in a little bit more to those layers that I so love you talking about. But thinking about the way in which you're looking at demographic changes, longevity and the like, what companies have therefore you backed? What are the sort of problems ultimately they're trying to fix? One of my companies is called Guaranteed, and they are using technology to change end of life and hospice care. That's, that fits into the aging and longevity layer of the cake. We're super excited to, um, to back that company. Um, I've also invested in a company called Pamper, which uh, focuses on nails and, and nail art. That fits into the women, uh, women layer of the cake. Um, and we're, we're excited to continue you know, filling out the layers of the cake with amazing companies building uh, not only consumer products, but also building in the business-to-business and enterprise space. Hey, Monique, one of the things I'm always fascinated by when we, we have VCs on, it, it, I guess it's not just as simple as you handing over the money, right? And I guess when you, when you launch a thematic fund, my question to you is, what other help do you offer these founders? What is it your pitch to them on why they should partner with you, why they should take your check over somebody else's? So I built Cake to own the white space around demographic change because demographic change is what is going to impact every single company that is being started today, whether you know it is strictly focused on aging or whether it is a more generalized company. And so one of the things that 
uh, founders and entrepreneurs look to me and CAG4 is really helping them understand and define which demographic changes are going to be the most impactful to their companies and how to take advantage of those in a way that is both authentic and helps accelerate their growth. We were talking just about the economic environment we, we now find ourselves. And some have said, you know, obviously dire straits for VC, but exciting times in seed. And some many have thought maybe the talent, the talent that's being let go at the moment and with the countless layoffs means people are going to build right now. Do you abide by that thesis or are you thinking actually now's the time that you're looking for the companies that have already been built and perhaps aren't taking such a risk in this time? No, definitely. You know, layoffs are a really challenging time for anyone. No one, you know, wants to hear about big companies laying off uh, a large amount of their staff. But, you know, just like uh, during the great financial crisis, a lot of those a lot of those people ended up starting companies that are that have been category defining companies like Airbnb and Uber. And I think that because we are in a recession and we are in a um, you know, we are really in a challenging economic time. A lot of people will now start to uh, start new companies of their own, and these can be the um, you know the next big companies that that ex- experience amazing growth. All right, Monique Woodard of Cake Ventures. We're so grateful to have you. Day one, you know, officially of, of the vehicle launch, and best of luck to you and and the founders that you're investing. What what? is happening is there is clearly themes playing out in front of our eyes. Every day on the show, we're discussing the same thing, which is, okay, there might be a pullback in, in investments from the VC world, not in early, you know, pre-seed, seed stage companies. That's number one. Number two, we are seeing thematic investors look to focus on, prioritize, get capital to those that need it most, women-led startups, yeah. minority groups. And, and yes, it's repetition, but this is what we're talking about every, every single day on the show, it seems. It's literally happening in real time. And it's interesting to hear the dovetailing of what PitchBook has seen and yes. the commitment, yes, it's still always coming from a small base, but the resilient commitment to women, minority-led businesses, even throughout the back end of 2022, that, you know, many have worried. Many have worried as yeah. we enter some sort of downturn that they'll be the first ones to be left behind, sort of the last ones in, first ones out mentality. But that doesn't seem to be bearing out. That doesn't seem to be the case. And ultimately, people want to, particularly Gen Z millennials, want to invest and spend with purpose in some way. It feels like something that you just say, but actually, it's not just talking the talk. We're walking the walk in some way. We're seeing people get building, getting the funding, closing those rounds, and actually writing those checks already. What was it, 12 that she's already Yeah, we're seeing the data, and then from, you know, investors like Monique, we're seeing it in action, Mm. you know, the story behind it. Next, I think we've got to also focus a little bit on public markets because we forget actually we're so focused right now on private. There's a lot going on in the world of stocks. We'll be right back. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. 
Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hine in New York, and I'm very pleased to say still in New York is one Ed Ludlow, only for one more day. But let's talk your favourite. Let's talk EVs. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot in the news flow right now around electric vehicle and a lot in the market, so I thought I'd tie it all together. The first thing that caught my eye actually was Lucid. I wrote a story this morning about Lucid's full year 22. They produced just over 7,000 vehicles, exceeding just their, their guidance or target. Remember, Lucid cut its target twice in 2022. It started the year saying they'd make 20,000 vehicles, they cut it to 14,000, they cut it again to 7,000, and at all told, at the end of the year, they produced just over 7,000, but delivered very few to customers. The market liked it, though. It's kind of relief we saw in the stock up almost uh, 5%. Tesla was actually significantly lower at the open, despite, you know, there was this logic that you get the inflation uh, print where we thought it would be, the Fed will raise rates in lower increments, Tesla trades at 25 times forward earnings, maybe it would get caught up with the rest of the tech trade. It didn't, although it did close up three tenths of one percent. And Ford, up 1.6 percent, its tenth straight session higher in the green, longest streak on record. I think that's really interesting. There's no hard news peg, but we did get that data last week about its full year 22 EV sales in particular. So I thought I'd take a look at this chart because Ford is now the number two seller of electric vehicles in the United States. But this kind of tells the story, right? Those big bars are last year and this year for Tesla. It's EV sales globally, right? And 1.3 million at the end of 2022, globally granted, but I've put that US data for Ford next to it because that's principally where they're selling, right? You've got like the, the, uh, F1, uh, the F-150 Lightning being released, the E-Transit van, but the mainstay of what they're selling is the Mustang Mach-E, 60,000 or so units. So context is king, right? You know, Ford is catching up, they're closing the gap. My question to all our guests going forward is, you know, is the competition coming for Tesla? That chart is simply there to demonstrate this is the market incumbent with Tesla, right? That lead is so dramatic. It is a huge lead. It means so many funds are exposed, so many still committed to that stock, but some questioning how committed they should be. Let's talk to one Mark Stokel. We love him because he's outspoken. He's the CEO and senior portfolio manager over at Adams Funds, which has $2.6 billion under management. And Mark, a great quote that caught our eye, which was immediately why Eddie was like, we need to get this man on again. And it's because you said, with all the moving parts, basically you said that there's currently too many unknowns to get a good handle on what an appropriate valuation is for Tesla. You see it as a potentially a train wreck. Is it? Well, it could be. I mean, I, I think if you, if you have a stock that's down 70%, uh, it, I think that's the beginning of a train wreck anyway, uh, if, if, it, if it isn't. Uh, in, in its own right, well uh, but I, I, I do think that there are. For, first of all, it's a, it's a great company, mm. but one of the things that we spend, we try to spend a lot of time doing when we're looking at stocks is trying to separate the difference between a great company and a really good stock. And I do believe it's a great company. 
we just don't believe it's a great stock right now. And you know, some of the unknowns, uh, you know, have been have been pretty well documented. You know, Ed talked about about some of them. Um, you know, when you go from having a over a three month three month wait list to get to get a car to none. When you see price price cuts in China now, granted, China is a little different market, and but they do have competition. So you know, how long until those price cuts come to the United States? And so you 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 put those things together, and then trying to figure out what what's the appropriate price for this? What are you supposed to pay for 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 these earnings? And you know, there are a lot of people that will say. Well, now it's trading at 24 times. I think it's 24 times something like that. Um, so it's down for it's down significantly. So and it's down 70 percent. So that must be okay. And and that's not the way I think investors are supposed to look at it. Uh, and and what I meant by unknowns is because we don't know uh, because it, it, it's unclear whether how long the price cuts are going to have to keep going in China, whether they're going to come to the United States. Um, why why would you jump in now? Why would yeah. you just wait to to let the dust clear? Because I don't think it's going to get away from you. I'm currently looking at estimated PE, currently trading at 30 times that, so maybe even more elevated to a certain degree. Mark, are you, what do you need to hear? Is it the cult around Elon Musk, the way he can talk up a stock? Is it the fundamentals that you need to see change in China? Yes. Is there anything that could be fixed that would immediately make you go, ah, this is getting back to a good stock again? I wouldn't say immediately, but certainly there are some things. I think the rhetoric, I mean, one of the interesting things, and we, I said this in a meeting yesterday, is when's the last time Musk tweeted something that was silly? I mean, he's done, he's, he does it a lot, but I think he's starting to get it. I mean, I think he's starting to get that, that, that you know, much of the things that he's doing outwardly is not helping, uh, not helping Tesla. So uh, we, we, he, he's, it, it appears he's backed off of that. I, I do think, I mean, demand's the issue. And frankly, it's not just the United States. Ed talked about Ford. Uh, it, you know, they've, they've got really good, robust competition in China. Um, I, I think it's waiting a quarter or two to see where is demand really going to shake out. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing Ed said, you know, they've sort of had this market to themselves for quite a long time, uh, and, and and you know there are other companies that can make good EVs. Certainly, Tesla makes a good EV. Right. But other companies do as well. I mean, the, the Mustang's pretty cool, actually. Hey, Mark, I just want to point out real quick, you, you, you guys do hold Tesla shares, don't you? We, we, we do own it. I, I, I will be quick to tell you that we are underweighted. We, we're benchmarked to the S&P 500. Okay. So we own it, we're own it, but we're underweight. And, and frankly, I, if you have a second, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that because I think it's, I mean, to us, the volatility of Tesla, both on the upside and the downside is such that we think being out of it completely exposes you too much to, to, to the S&P 500. So we are underweighted. That's kind of a, a, a sort of market structural dynamics point. Yeah. We, we showed uh, a banner essentially on the show a second ago about Tesla's expansion plans in China being on pause. And what Bloomberg reported overnight was, according to sources, this plan to double the capacity of the Shanghai plant to nearly 2 million vehicles annually is on hold due to influence from the Chinese government. The concern is that Elon Musk, who is also the CEO of SpaceX, uh, and, and SpaceX offering the Starlink product, uh, is, is concerning to the Chinese government because it, it, if Starlink would be able to use in, in mainland China, it could bypass Chinese firewalls, etc. I'm just bringing you the, the, the Bloomberg reporting latest on that. My question 
how core is the China story to a name like Tesla? And how closely are investors like you watching the economy in China? It's, it's very important. And, and I, I do think, actually, it's interesting. I, I think the reporting that you just talked about is likely correct. I also wonder how much of the putting, putting it on pause was we see a lot more competition now than we did six months ago, a year ago, and 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 therefore it might be prudent to to, to slow your roll a little bit um, rather than go f- full full force. But we we do look at uh, not not only do we look at the number of vehicles that are being being delivered, we we do look at uh, geography. And in China, I mean, China's a big market, and that's why I mean that's why there are a lot of other EV players in there. Um, uh, so it it is it is important. Can we talk a little bit about Disney? My understanding is you have a very small holding of Disney, but you know we've talked in the show about what's help happening with activist investor Trian Nelson Peltz. Uh, does Peltz have a point? That is the question. I think the short answer is absolutely. Uh, you know, let, let's let's look at a couple of facts. One is uh, I think it starts. I think the issues with Disney start at the top, and I don't mean Bob Iger. I mean the board. I think the board has the board has uh, sat around and watched this company since 2016 underperform the S&P 500 by almost 60%. And but for one director, they've all sat through all of that. Uh, they 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 also sat through trying to figure out how to find a successor for Iger uh, year after year. I mean, he I think it was four different contracts that he extensions that he had uh, before before he ended up they ended up uh, picking Chapek. Um, but he he, do, he does have a point, and I think that in many respects, Bob Iger. There's a halo around Bob Iger, and people say, "Well, you know," but it's Disney. Well, it, it is Disney, but but the performance of Disney has been miserable, uh, and and you know I I think that you know Nelson Pels. I'm, I'm not a big fan of activists in general, but but I think that he 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 can bring a discipline to. He may be able to bring a discipline to Disney. That, uh, that, that it's been lacking, uh, you know, wh- whether it's on expenses, whether it's on where uh, M&A. Um, there, there are a lot of things that Disney has done wrong. Uh, but again, everybody everybody has this soft spot in their heart for Disney and, and soft spot in their heart for, for Bob Iger. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's for us, it's an investment. And <laughs> that investment has not been very good. So, you know, having one of 12 seats be Nelson Pell's, uh, when he's come and been very honest about, I'm not looking to replace uh, Iger. I'm just, you know, I, I think right. they could use some strategy help. I, I, I think that, that Pels might be able to help them. Mark Stokel, very matter of fact with the investor's perspective. No magic with Disney. Senior uh, portfolio manager and CEO at Adams Fund, Mark Stokel. We're grateful to have you on. going viral, we had to do the story coming out of Twitter in Asia, because did you hear, Singapore office of Twitter, it's Asia headquarters, no less, Eddie, were told to empty out their desks and vacate the premises by the end of the day. This is all according to people familiar with the situation. And we kind of know why. Elon Musk continuing to lower expenses around the globe, but you know more than anyone in SF. Right. Was he even paying his rent? So th- there's so many threads to this. The first is that that office was gutted, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, there was a big victim of the layoffs. But it's completely incongruous with the policy at San Francisco office. Because remember, in San Francisco, according to sources, and you've seen the photos, they put beds 
into the office so that employees could sleep there overnight, which of course upset the city officials. He took sinks, he took beds. So am I right? He's not paying the landlords in San Francisco, but everyone's still made to work there, whereas perhaps he's not. Maybe that's the argument here, perhaps paying over in Singapore, and that's why they've been kicked out. Although, didn't the landlord say that they're still a current tenant? He's just not paying the rent. You imagine just stop paying your rent? Well, that's what's happening here. Don't go doing that in SF. Meanwhile, that does it from this edition of Bloomberg Technology Friday. We're pleased to say we're having a music conversation. Illuminate Mm. CEO Rob Jonas, who is in charge of the world's largest music data company. And speaking of audio, don't forget to check out the podcast, (laughs) iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot to review this week. This is Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.